Well, good morning, church. I hope everybody is doing well. Man, what an incredible time of worship this morning, right? I mean, I, don't, I can't speak for you, but man, Sunday is like my favorite day of the week. I know I'm like the pastor and supposed to say that, um, but it is, there's just something I look forward to worshiping with you and just being with my people and my family and, you know, chatting and catching up. I know if you have kids that are in school, we're all like dragging this morning. Um, it probably thundered and lightning at your house. I think it actually hit my house. That's what I feel like. Um, our kids got up, our neurotic dog was like running circles. Um, and so I'm so thankful that you are here. Um, man, how awesome is that about Malden and Anderson, just what God is doing there? Um, want to take some time to celebrate what God is doing here, not to take away from that spotlight, but um, last Sunday was our largest attended regular Sunday in the history of Upstate Church Five Forks. Yeah. And so, uh, man, so awesome. Other than like Christmas Eve and Easter, it was our largest attended Sunday morning gathering. And you probably noticed this if you were here last week. Uh, this hour was down a little bit, but our second hour was packed, um, kind of like this service. And so you held up your end of the bargain uh, this morning. So let's hope second service does that, all right? Um, and, uh, man, hopefully this morning we'll, we will break that record, which is just awesome. And here's what that means and what that is telling me is it has nothing to do with, with me or even our band while we are trying to be faithful and walking in this calling that God has called us to. But it's about you. It's about you to, uh, pointing people to Jesus, inviting, and um, God bringing families to connect. And this is a place, and this is your first time you've been checking us out. That's what it's about. We want you to, to really become and belong here, to have a family and a sense of, of others in a community that ch we challenge each other to be more like Jesus because we're all in the same boat, right? None of us are better than one another, and so we're striving for that, and I love what God is doing here. It is all about God, nothing to do with us, and so that's crazy. And at the same token, this past week, um, we got some information that, so next um, September 11th is the second Sunday in September. We're going to celebrate at least three baptisms um, here um, at our campus of life change that has taken place. And actually, yeah, absolutely. And uh, believe it or not, like just before service started, a uh, fourth one came through. And so let me just say this. If you have not been baptized and you're just ready, maybe you've been on the line. I get it. You're like, I don't want to go in front of people. I just really don't know. And you've made a decision to follow Jesus. Man, be obedient. Take that step in baptism. We want to celebrate as a church family, as believers um, in that. And so that is something that it's going to be awesome. We have two kids and two adults. So um, it's not just like the little kids getting baptized. And it's for anybody who claims to be a believer and hasn't taken that step before. Also, last Sunday, we had group signups. And so we had a lot of new people get plugged in. If you weren't here, um, that doesn't mean that you're not um, able to sign up for a group. You can go online, sign up for groups that way, get plugged in. We have all kind of um, options on Sunday morning, um, on, during the week, on Wednesdays here, um, an option uh, at our downtown campus. So come find me. And if you're like, hey, I just don't know which one my life stage, I would love to point you in the right direction so um, you would feel comfortable and just get connected in that community. Um, I always tell people, sometimes you, I've been in church long enough, people are like, well, we're going to go to another church. We're just not connected. And I say, well, do you serve? They're like, no. Are you in a group? No. So you come and you hear a boring preacher like me, <laughs> you know, for however long, 
of course you're not going to be connected. You're, I'm just talking to you. Um, and so get connected in community with that. And then um, finally, the last thing I wanted to mention this is for the men in the room. Um, sometimes as men, we're stubborn, we're hard-headed, and we think of every excuse of why we can't do something instead of making it happen. Uh, this next Friday and Saturday, none of the guys said amen to that, by the way. The women were like, ha, 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 okay. Uh-huh. I told you so. All right. The Lord is speaking to you right now. Um, but next Friday and Saturday is our Carolina Men's Conference. Uh, it will be at our downtown campus. Now, let me throw this out there just because I know how guys are. Obviously, I'm a guy that it's Friday night. We have a, an awesome steak dinner. All right. And we have some giveaways. Then on Saturday, it's not all day Saturday. You will be done by noon. All right. So you can go take your dad nap. Um, you know, take your wife shopping because I know she wants you to do that and you really want to go. And all those different things that you need to finish on a Saturday, you can still do. So go online, sign up for that. Um, don't miss it, all right? Don't be that guy, all right? And I would love, I know I've said this on social media, I mean, I would love for every guy that calls this place home to sign up. I understand if you have things going on, but if you can be there, don't just be at home doing stuff. Come to the conference, all right? So you can go online for that. But if you have your Bibles, let's dig into this. We're going to be in John chapter 1 uh, this morning, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth Gospel of the New Testament. And if you were here last week or watched this online, you know um, we launched this series called Back to the Basics really with this heart and desire that to get back to really the core principles, the core beliefs of Christianity, that over time, um, because that's just how, how it goes, that over history, that things have been added to Christianity, taken away, it has been twisted, it has been skewed. We all, you think of the word Christian or Christianity, it's a loaded term these days, that it comes with a lot of baggage and preconceived notions of when you hear, um, there was a study done in a book called Unchristian, and when people thought about Christianity, there were four things um, and, uh, that came to mind in this research study, and it was like, homophobic, hypocritical, too involved in politics, and judgmental. Those are the four things that the majority of people in our country thought of when they heard uh, the term Christian. And so what we wanted to do, our desire as a teaching team and as a church, was to say, okay, listen, we're, we're like in this sick, long-lasting game of tel the telephone game. You remember that in elementary school? Where it's kind of taken on a form that's not what Scripture says. And so what we want to do is really look down and say, what does God say? What does his word say? What did Jesus teach? What did the disciples follow and give their life to? What did the early church devote themselves to? And pull those things out, out of scripture to say, okay, here's what Christianity is all about. Because if not, we can wander in a lot of different directions. Wouldn't you agree that we can kind of get misguided? And some of us, even myself, a lot of times a series like this is like hitting the reset button to kind of get us back on course. And so that is our hope. And we're using, uh, obviously, Scripture, but as a framework and as a tool, one of the most uh, historically foundational creeds or documents and pledges um, since the second century known as the Apostles' Creed. Now, I always want to say this, I'm not preaching the creed. It just brings out great principles for us to understand. And it has passed the, the test of time in this. Um, some people think the apostles actually created this. Research will show that the apostles, I don't know why it's called the apostles' creed. Um, the apostles didn't write it, all right? But it's been used since the second century to really 
uh, confirm and affirm God's word and his truth. And so what I want to do, if you weren't here last week, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read the Apostles' Creed. Um, and next week, we're all going to read it together because I, I know that y'all can read. You're educated, okay? So we're going to do that together. But this morning, I'm just going to read it. And you'll see over the next uh, six weeks now, uh, we're going to walk through each of these big-time uh, principles in Scripture. So let me read this. It'll be on the screens if you want to follow along. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and he sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From hence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting Amen. So this morning, last week, we hit lines one and two. I uh, believe in God, uh, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This morning, we just want to camp out on lines two, three, and four. That in Jesus Christ, um, that we believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. So what we see in this creed is affirmation. The first two lines saying that God is creator, maker of heaven and earth really separates Christianity from Eastern religions like Hinduism or Buddhism. But now lines three, four, and five take it a step further of separation when we claim as Christians, as we believe in scripture, see that Jesus is the son of God. It separates us from even more religions like Judaism and Islam. And so it is central, while it's a centerpiece of the creed, it is the centerpiece all of Scripture. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament points to Jesus. And so Jesus is, as God's Son, the centerpiece of Christianity. Now think about this. What, what would, would there even be Christianity without Christ? What would the Bible actually point to or talk about? What would the mar martyrs who, who died then and are uh, persecuted now, would they have died and been persecuted in vain? Think about that. It's an interesting concept to think, what would life be like without Christ at the very center of the Christian faith? And we see that it was so rooted in the early church and the core because it was easier, not easy, but easier for them to believe and to follow because they are friends with eyewitnesses of Jesus roaming this earth and living on this planet. So they hear stories or they see for themselves. And here we are 2,000 plus years later, and it's like, I don't know. Let's be honest, it's a little bit harder to believe. It's hard for people to grasp and understand. I've always found that if you are super smart and very analytical, that it's really hard for you to grasp faith because it doesn't connect. It's either black or white. There is no gray space in this. And so we come to this concept that has separated us from other world religions, but Jesus is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. That's why it's called Christian. Hello. Okay. All right. Christ is in it. And what we see is that Paul 
actually is writing to the church of Ephesus um, in his letter in chapter 2. He says this um, to the church. Uh, so then you are no longer slaves or, or strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. He says, that, but this is all built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But he says this, Christ Jesus himself um, being the cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. It's what differentiates, I like that word, from other world religions. And what we need to understand is that, so you have Jesus, which is Greek for the name Joshua, but it actually means God is Savior. So that's his name. Now, Christ is actually a title. That's not his last name, all right? So he's not Mr. Christ, all right? Um, I forget the comedian that said he thought his name as a kid was Jesus Christ because his parents always called him that. But it's not that, okay? Um, I think that was Bill Cosby. Too soon? I don't know. But uh, uh, maybe you're like, oh, Lord. But um, So it's not a first and last name. Christ is actually a title that was given. And Christ means anointed one. And so Jesus Christ is this combination that it is God the Savior, anointed, sent from God above to come and redeem you and me. That's where we get the, the title. And so Jesus Christ is this awesome thing. So for us to call him Lord or to call him Jesus is really this universal understanding that he is Christ. He is king. He was sent from God. He is God to come to this earth. And that's what we're going to unpack. And John does an awesome, awesome job doing this as he opens up his gospel. Now, I love John's writing. And if you've done any kind of study in the New Testament, I always point this out. Because John was like in the inner circle with Jesus. There were things that John saw that other disciples did not see. But what I think is so funny is that in his gospel, as he's writing this eyewitness testimony of his life with Jesus, he, he really kind of lifts himself up in a lot of ways. He says things like, I was the beloved disciple, or, you know, um, I was his favorite type language over and over and over. And I'm like, dude, eat some humble pie a little bit, all right? But, um, but what we see is John begins to paint at the very beginning of Scripture and if you look at the theme of the Gospel of John, it is all about defining who Jesus is. Based on his relationship and his time, his experience and interaction with Christ, he wants to write and um, articulate on paper, this is who he is. It's who he says he is. This is what the scriptures before us in the Old Testament were pointing to. So he defines and he forms to put the spotlight right on Jesus. And so let's read this together. We're going to be in the first 18 verses of chapter 1 in, in the book of John, the Gospel of John. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, it's not the same John. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. If you know a story, John the Baptist was about six months older than Jesus, but was sent almost as a New Testament prophet to say, hey, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. You need to be prepared for this. And so um, the disciple John is talking about John the Baptist. Um, and so he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light and that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I love that verse. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. Man, what a, a rich passage of Scripture that John is writing and pointing out here. And if you're taking notes, our first point this morning is that Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is God the Son. Now, these are big theological nuggets, right? Isn't that a funny word, nugget? All right. Um, but it, it's just one of those things that we have to grasp. If we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to understand He is God the Son. He is fully God. Now, John points it this way and writes in the very um, first couple of verses. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, when he's referring to the Word, he's referring to Jesus. He's saying from the very beginning of time was Jesus. Now, think about this. If you look back in Genesis 1 at the creation account, you see Jesus is there. This is our introduction to really the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son. So we see that even in the creation account, when God makes man, he says, let's make man in what? Our image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They were there. And so uh, John is pointing out, he's saying, hey, in the very beginning was the Word. It was Jesus. And then so if you were to replace Jesus with the Word there, in the beginning was Jesus, and, the, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And so Jesus is fully God. He is God the Son. So in the person of Jesus that God now physically enters into our world. I love what one commentator said. He said, it's in Jesus that we have a living link between heaven and earth. Man, what an incredible picture to think that God then came to this earth in, um, through his Son, through flesh, and enters into the human realm. Now, kind of the spiritual theological term uh, um, for that is incarnation. You probably have heard that. 
that the incarnation really is Latin and really translates into becoming flesh. That God um, from heaven came down and became flesh with us through Jesus. That Jesus is fully God. And here's the mystery, but also the incredible beauty of it, is that as God's becoming Jesus, he's not ceasing to not be God anymore. He's continuing to be God. Now, once again, as I said kind of in an introduction, this separates us from a lot of world religions. That when we begin to claim Jesus as God the Son. Now, I would say universally, universally that most people would agree, maybe not wholeheartedly, but say, well, Jesus' teachings were good teachings. You know, no one's going to argue that you know, not stealing um, is a bad principle or, hey, serve and be kind to your neighbor and love your neighbor. And those kind of principles, no one's going to argue against that. So people say, well, those are good teachings. Some people would say, hey, he was a good teacher and he lived a good life. He was a good person in a lot of different ways, you know. But usually when the rubber meets the road, the thing that people debate with or debate over is that he wasn't really fully God. You would have Jehovah Witnesses that would say there's no way that Jesus never claimed to be God. You have Buddhists that teach that Jesus wasn't God, but he was instead an enlightened man. You have Islam that would say he's a messenger from God. He's a prophet of God and a pretty significant prophet, but he wasn't God himself. And then you would also have like Christian science, if you've seen that, where the founder of that says Jesus is not God. And so as Christians, as we look in the scripture and as John is pointing out, he is God. He's been here from the very beginning of time. He has and will be and is always there. I love what Colossians says. It says, for in him, talking about Jesus, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's a mouthful. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. God is incarnate through Jesus. How do we know that Jesus is God's son? Now I'm going to go through this kind of quick. If you're taking notes, this is kind of more of a apologetical type message in a sense to defend your faith. But one, we see that Jesus throughout the gospels claims to be God. But if that wasn't enough, others claim that he was God within the scripture and actually outside of scripture. And that's just so interesting because it's one thing for me to go around and like at family dinners say, I'm God. But it's another thing when people are like, no, he is God. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could, I could go to Haywood Mall right now and be like, hey, everybody, I'm God. And people are like, okay, arrest that dude. Okay, he's smoking something. But when other people are like, no, he is God, you know, in the skeptical society we live in, it's like, that's a cult, you know. And I'm not saying be careful. But at the time, what we see is that Jesus is coming. He's claiming to be God. And we see that the others around him who have experienced miracles are saying, this is this is the guy he says he is. What he's doing, the way he's acting, this is truly him. Remember in John chapter 10, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're the same. And so he is saying, I am um, the Lord. I am in this. Another thing that we see is that God or Jesus did the works of God. In the New Testament, we see nearly 40 different miracles that Jesus performs as the work of God. He's healing people. He's um, people who are paralyzed. He's raising 
them so they can walk. He's raising people from the dead, people who are sick. He's taking away illness. And the Jews of the time, the people would definitely know the Old Testament passage that the psalmist wrote when Jesus heals a blind man and now he sees the psalmist wrote, the Lord heals the blind. And so they're connecting this and they're saying, well, he really is who he says he is. It was the religious elite that were like, no, not, not really. This isn't really who we thought it was going to be because he didn't come from money and royalty and all these different things. And then finally, what we see is that Jesus possessed the attributes of God. Now, sure, he loved and he had compassion and all these different things. But I would say the one thing that separates him from any other world religion leader is his holiness. He was perfect. He did not have sin. And so we look at that and be like, man, God's holy. Jesus is holy. There are even uh, a couple circumstances where they're about to stone Jesus because ultimately he's saying he's God, which is blasphemy. And he's like, if you find any sin, throw a stone. And they're like, uh, I guess you're pretty perfect. We can't do that. And then even while he's arrested before Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate can't find any sin to convict him on. It was just people say, no, we, we don't want him. He's, he's doing all this stuff. He's stirring up strife. And so we see that he is the son. Um, he is God, the son. He's fully God. The second thing that um, John is pointing out is that Jesus is the son of God. Now you might be like, what is the difference there? Let me kind of articulate this. God the Son shows that Jesus was fully God, fully divine, had the, the deity of God himself. Now, the second point, Jesus is the Son of God, also means that he is fully man. He is fully human. This is called being, okay, being fully man. And full, if you want to press your uh, friends at like a cocktail party the next time, you know, say this. It's called hypostatic union. Doesn't that sound fancy? All right, good old seminary term. But he possesses both fully God and fully man together in this that he is fully man. He was born of a human mother, Mary. He had brothers and sisters. He was racially Jewish. He had human emotion and feelings. Remember when he uh, would fast, he would say, I'm hungry. We would say that. We'd probably say we're hangry, okay? When he was on the cross, he said, I thirst. We see when the church wasn't going and, and people were selling things on the, the steps of the church, he was righteously angry and overturned tables, put all John Cena on them, you know? And so you have that. And so you have all these emotions, and I love this, and so... Think about this. This really shows his humanity. There's a story in John 11 where one of Jesus' closest buddies, Lazarus, is dead. And Mary and Martha come to Jesus and say, he's dead. And Jesus is just heartbroken. So he goes and he finds Lazarus. He's, he's dead. And he sees how distressed family and Mary and Martha are. And the shortest verse of all the Bible, right? John 11:35. Jesus what? wept. So that's a good memory verse, okay? <laughs> Jesus wept. It shows his humanity. It shows he has emotion. He wasn't like some superhero that's like, nothing ever hurts me. I'm a Marvel character. You know, I don't cry. I got superhero powers. Man, he was a man. And he felt those things. And this is why this is so important, because John's saying, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so, 
and, and God coming incarnate through Jesus to be with us fully uh, human in this. It's this incredible truth that even God on, I mean, Jesus was baptized. And, and God says, this is my beloved son. This is him. He articulates who Jesus is and defines him as his son. And what I love about this is that Jesus reveals to us, right, who God is personally. He wasn't some distant God to say, I'm just going to stay up here in my eternal whatever dominion. And y'all just struggle down there. So he brings Jesus to be fully God, fully man, to live with us. So it was personal because we had sin. We had baggage and he needed, uh, or we needed him to come. And so here is just kind of in closing, I want you to encapsulate all of this. The word there, if you did a word study in John chapter 1, later on he uses the word again, which really, it really is translated exegesis. And exegesis means to unfold or to tell or to explain. And so what, what Jesus is doing is explaining to us who God is. He's showing us because God's invisible. We've never seen God. But through Jesus, we see the character, the nature, the person, the glory, all the attributes of who God is. And so if you hear anything this morning, here's why Jesus, fully God and fully man, is so important for us. Jesus had to live in our place so that he could die in our place. If you don't hear anything this morning, if you're like, exegesis, eh, hypostatic union, whatever, nerd alert, okay, Hear this, Jesus came to this earth to live in our place, to experience everything that we go through so that he could die in your place. And here's the third closing point, and then I'll pray, that God has come to us. The entire reason that he came, as John said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen the glory, the glory of his only son. There was law that Moses brought from God, but now we see the fullness of grace and truth. And I don't know about you, I need grace and truth in my life. I need for my failures, my mistakes, I need some truth to, to correct me to the right point to honor Jesus, but I also need some grace. And it's only possible from Jesus coming to this earth, fully God and fully man, that he came to us because it directs everything and impacts everything that we do. Because of Jesus, we can forgive. Because of Jesus, we can give grace and we can provide truth. We can love, we can be comforted, all those different things. And so as we close this song, let this closing song just be a time of celebration to point to Jesus, to say, you know what, Jesus, you are everything. You are fully God. You are fully man. And I trust you. I trust you. Let it impact your life this morning to say, that's the God I serve. And when you say Jesus Christ, it is saying he is anointed one. He is God's representative for my sin, that he died in my place. Let's pray together. Father. We are so thankful that you did send your one and only son, Jesus. And he wasn't just this big time superhero that doesn't know or can't relate to anything that we go through, but that he was fully man, that he lived in our place so that he could at one point, three years into his ministry, go to the cross and die for every failure, mistake, past, present, and future for you and for me.
And so God, we are thankful for that blessing, for that sacrifice, because without it, there is no redemption. There is no eternal life. And God, as a response to what your son Jesus did for us and how you sent him, let us now respond, not just in worship, but in proclaiming you are Lord. You are the king over our life and let us serve you and serve you well in everything that we do. Let our marriages honor that. Let our parenting honor that. Let our work and our neighborhood um, people to see who you are through us. God, we love you and we worship you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and worship together.